You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. This excellent exhortation called The Salvation of Your Souls is based on the first of Peter in chapter one. It was presented to the Pinetown Ecclesia in South Africa on the 12th of December in 2021 by Brother Graham Webb. Last week with Brother David, we considered the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and particularly the type of conditions that existed within the Roman Empire at that time. And we had a very clear picture, I think, given to us of exactly how difficult those conditions really were. And as we move now to First Peter that we started reading together yesterday, we move forward to about AD 62, AD 63, thereabouts, when this book was written. And conditions certainly hadn't got any easier for people living in the Roman provinces. And uh, as we read in the uh, first uh, verse of that that chapter one, Peter's writing to those who are in dispersion. And I found a lovely little introduction to the book that I'm going to start the exhortation with this morning, um, because I think it just really paints the picture for us of what first Peter is all about. And he reminds us that the situation in Jerusalem had become more and more tense um, through about the AD 60s. This was the build-up to the Roman revolt, uh, or the first revolt against Rome uh, that took place in AD 66 that Josephus tells us about. But obviously there was a long build-up to that. And from AD 60, roughly, there were outbreaks against the Roman rule and the tyranny of the Romans and the taxation that crippled the uh, everyday person. Um, That was growing tension over the governors that ruled the various provinces, the abuse and the corruption, robbing the people literally to line their own pockets. So Josephus writes that there was growing tension throughout the countryside. And along with that, a number of bandit groups that began to spring up, rebel types against Rome, and of course we know of the zealots as well, this insurgency movement, I suppose, as we call them today. And then, of course, it's just a downright complete corruption of um, the whole Roman administration. And so we understand that the tensions must have been very, very high around AD 60. And uh, finally, that bubble would burst in AD 66, the full-scale Jewish revolt against Rome. But for the average household, the average Jewish household, Rome was a a dominant factor, political factor for them. Um, Obviously, Rome ruled over them. You know, the violence, the taxation, and a number of other things that would upset day-to-day life. While they might not have seen Romans on a day-to-day basis as such, the power was very, very visible in the everyday life. Uh, Herod's rule over Judea and the um, strong arm tactics, I suppose we could call them, of Herod's forces would have made them plainly clear. 
So when we look at First Peter chapter 1, that we started reading yesterday, I think we can easily give the name of that first book, Suffering and True Spirituality. That's what Peter calls us to as we come to see. So Peter was writing to a mixed bag of believers. There were Gentiles who lived in the world beforehand, according to the worldly lusts and pleasures. And there were Jews who'd left behind the Old Testament and its traditions and its legalistic approach. And so we have both Jew and Gentile now scattered abroad that Peter is writing to. They were in exile, they were aliens and exiles from a hostile world. And I think it's so appropriate, this book, um, Russ nowadays, in the times we find ourselves in, because Peter has a really relevant feel, I think, for the day and age that we find ourselves in, a world of growing hostility to faith, hostile to biblical worldviews. For instance, we can't stand and preach uh, against gay and lesbian approaches. Uh, because the world just views this as everyday normal practice. And so we find ourselves in growing hostility to the things of truth, biblical morality, it's long went out the window. And so the people that Peter were writing to, they started to begin to experience trials in a greater and greater degree. And likewise for us today, the trials that we face today, And the trials I believe we will continue to face will grow to a greater and greater degree. And just evidence of that right now is how the small number of people that are here in the hall this morning. Trials that will challenge our faith more and more as these trials come upon us. But for me, when I get to the end of that first chapter, I think one of the, the, the most remarkable things is it reminds us of the sweetest thing that God has done for us. And suffering, is that God hasn't called us to focus on our suffering, to focus on our trials, but rather to focus on who we are, what we've been given, that we're a called and chosen people, and that we need to actually get up and follow Jesus. And so what we find, in, in certainly in the first chapter, but also through the entire first um, book of Peter, is this, this stark contrast, really, between hardship on the one side and maintaining holiness on the other. And we know that God has chosen to use difficult circumstances in our lives to see how we come through them, to advance his will in all of our lives. And I believe, brothers and sisters, as we go to this fourth wave of COVID now, And what is to come thereafter? We're going to face greater and greater challenges. If we're going to lockdown once more, what happens to the economy? What happens to jobs and livelihoods? There are so many unknowns, and and we really live in a world of terrible unknown at the moment from a human perspective. But the reality is we have a great and wonderful comfort when we pick up the scriptures and we read chapters like 1 Peter, And see what God has recorded for us to give us this hope and comfort that will take our minds off the struggles of daily life. So Peter focuses on the importance for us as believers of bearing up under sometimes what we call unjust suffering. 
And I don't believe it's coincidence that we're reading the book of Job and the book of First Peter at the same time. Because I think when we look at First Peter, it can almost be called the book of Job of the New Testament. It provides us encouragement in the face of suffering, in the face of trial and adversity. For a true believer to continue in the ways of Christ, ways that the Lord Jesus Christ has laid down for all his followers. And the endurance that Peter called all faithful believers to is so, so similar to Job's, a man who suffered despite his righteousness. And so Peter maintains right through this first book that this is the true kind of perseverance that God expects from his people. So let's delve into First Peter in a little bit more detail. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he describes to us those who he's writing to, those who were now temporarily abroad in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, the provinces of Asia, and Bithynia. Well, those are areas of modern-day Turkey. And so we see they're exiles, they are strangers, and what we suppose we call diaspora. Both Jews and Gentiles who converted to Christianity and left behind the um, various religions or lack of religion that they had followed previously. Um, Jared, can you bring me my tablet, please? Sorry, I left my tablet behind. It's not going to help finding a couple of references without my tablet. So the first thing we read in Hebrews 13, um, verse 14, I think that ties so nicely together for us is that for us today, we have no continuing city. We have no lasting city, but we seek one to come. And that was exactly the same type of situation that um, these in the diaspora and the dispersion find themselves in. They were exiles in a strange land. They fled persecution and fled um, stresses and worries and anxieties. But now they lived in a strange environment, pretty much like we find ourselves in. And Brother Barry read from Hebrews 11 just now. Let's go have a look at Hebrews 11, verse 13, together. And we see um, from verse 13 through to verse 16, these all died in faith. And we know the verses that precede this, all the faithful through the ages. And it says, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them. They embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And that's no different for us today, brothers and sisters. Those promises made from the earliest of time, they're still there. They've never changed. And we can embrace them, and we can be fully persuaded of those same promises by faith, acknowledging that we too are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We're not part of modern-day society. We're called to be in the world, but not of it. And so the world will bring difficult circumstances. It will bring stress and anxiety in our lives. But we need to see ourselves as strangers and pilgrims. Verse 14, for they that say such things plainly declare that they seek a country. And truly, if they've been mindful of that country from whence they came out, 
they might have an opportunity to preserve a return. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So how much does that apply to our own lives today, brothers and sisters? We live in a society that has no place for God. It has no place for Christian morals and Christian ethics. So if we are to suffer, we need to face anxiety and stresses. We need to do so as God has asked us to do. And it's not unique to us. As we read here in Hebrews 13, these are the type of things that all the faithful through all the ages have had to endure. And so likewise, God asks us to endure patiently. And so verse 2 reminds us, just as those disciples of the first century, those early Christian believers had been called according to the foreknowledge of God by being set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling, with Jesus Christ's blood. So too, brothers and sisters, we've been called. We have been called and chosen according to God's foreknowledge. And he doesn't mean that he knew beforehand that each one of us would believe and accept the gospel, not at all. He determined beforehand, just as with them, as with us, that they would believe and they would accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the book of Romans quickly, to Romans 8, and see what Paul writes in this regard for us. Romans 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You see, despite everything, we are called, brothers and sisters, for exactly that purpose, that we might conform to the image of his Son. And we are called to be a part to be separate, the call by the Spirit for obedience, not for despair or lack of faith, not at all. The call for the sprinkling with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that was God's purpose from the beginning, and it is still God's purpose the forgiveness of sin through our Lord Jesus Christ. Entry into that new covenant in Christ. Just as we look back, if we do, to Exodus 24, verses 5 to 8. Moses sprinkled the blood on the people, and they replied in obedience. 
we will follow. And in our baptisms, in a similar vein, in symbolic language, we were sprinkled with the blood of Christ. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. And we made a vow at that time that we too will follow. So we've been figuratively sprinkled with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And as Peter writes for us, we've been a blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How often do we think about that hope, brothers and sisters? Yes, we acknowledge we've all got hope, that we've got hope in Christ. But do we truly think of it as a living hope? That Jesus Christ is alive, that he is active at the right hand of God in heaven, that he's given us a new birth into the greatest, most wonderful hope. And so because of this, Peter calls upon all his readers to praise God for this new and living hope. Because this hope has been proven to us in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he lives, we will live. So our new birth in Christ has given us this life. So our hope is alive and living, and it needs to become part of our everyday life in Christ. We've been called into an inheritance that is imperishable, that's undefiled, unfading, which is reserved for you and him. That inheritance that God promised right from the early chapters of Genesis to Adam, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, the promise of his kingdom of a perfect inheritance, one that will never fade away, one that will never be spotted by the stain of sin. And just as Israel reached the promised land and they stood on the border waiting to cross over, they anticipated that inheritance to the promised land. We two brothers and sisters should be anticipating a great and wonderful inheritance that we are true heirs of that inheritance that God has promised, that we'll be able to cross over into a pure and undefiled inheritance, something that no one can ravage without sin or pollution, something that will never wear out or waste away. Our inheritance, brothers and sisters, is reserved in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, so we should be waiting and watching and praying for his soon return. So verse 5, I think, is the key reminder for each one of us this morning. As for them, so with us, who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And I think every single one of us acknowledges that we do have God's angels around us. And Brother Barry included that in his prayer this morning. Thank you, Barry. And we acknowledge God's protection. But, you know, just as with everything else in our lives, it's not all up to God. It's up to us as well, brothers and sisters. 
We have to be active in the word of God, first and foremost, for God to work in our lives. And so Peter reminds us this morning, we're protected through faith for a salvation. You see, it requires of us true and living faith. We cannot just say that we will be protected by God. We have to believe it in our hearts and minds. Our faith really has to be strong in these times. And you know, the word protected is such a lovely word when we look back and see what it actually means. It means to be kept or to be guarded. And it comes from a military sense to prevent a hostile invasion. And isn't that what the word is trying to, the world is trying to do in each one of our lives every day? This hostile invasion into our lives that the world tries to permeate and change our lives, to draw us away. And it means to hem in. And when I, when I, I saw that, I thought straight away of a traditional rural crawl. And the herdsmen would take the cattle out to graze during the day. And at night, they bring the cattle back into this crawl. And you can just imagine this um, rough fence of, of sticks. And the cattle are put into that overnight to guard them from attack from wild animals at night. And that's exactly what this word means, is protected. God has hemmed us in and given us that most wonderful hope of his protection through our faith. Protection from the world. Protection from whatever it might be in our lives that would weaken faith. So it's just up to us, brothers and sisters, that our faith has to remain strong and true. Brother Barry read this morning in Hebrews 11, verse 6, where it reminds us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So our earnest prayer in the week and the weeks that lie ahead is that we should be seeking God in prayer for our faith to remain true and focused, that he will protect us, that he will bring us through whatever the trials and the stresses and the problems that face our lives. Because you see, these things we can face with great joy. As Peter writes to us in verse 6, these things bring you great joy. Well, there's no tribulation or stress or worry that really brings us great joy, is there? But Peter says these things should be bringing us great joy because we can see firsthand that God is truly at work in our lives. We can realize that God does and God will protect us. And so Peter adds on the end of that, although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials, see, brothers and sisters, each one of us, every single day, should be able to get up out of bed and face each new day with exactly that, with joy, with a celebration, with a purpose in our hearts. Despite the trials that we might know exist in our lives, despite what we might have to face, the burdens of another day, because that hope and that faith is burning bright within each one of us. That's what keeps us strong. It's then that we can rejoice with that unexpressible and glorious delight 
see, we might have to face those trials and tribulations because trials are necessary for the perfection of faith, as we know. And God uses trials to perfect our faith, to perfect each one of us. And James in chapter 1 writes for us, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. And on this side of the kingdom, brothers and sisters, we never will be perfect. We'll never be complete. That's what we strive for, isn't it? The perfecting of our faith. Our faith will never be perfect. But it's the trials and the challenges we have to face that will perfect our faith. And when you cross over to the other side, into God's kingdom by his grace, that's when our faith is full. And we can rejoice with the greatest joy that we can ever experience. Look what verse 7 tells us in 1 Peter. Such trials show the proven character of your faith. How we come through those trials and these these troublesome times prove the character of our faith. He says it's this faith that is much more valuable than gold, gold that is tested in fire, even though it's passing away. We'll bring praise and glory and honor not now, brothers and sisters, but when Jesus Christ is revealed. Until then, we live in faith. We face each day in faith and belief. Our strength in God. And it's a wonderful example that Peter chooses here. That of gold. And you can take a chunk of um, ore that we mine from the earth. And in that chunk of ore, there's no beauty. It's just a rough piece of rock with mineral content in it. No beauty whatsoever. Not really usable in any sense at all. So chemical agents are added to it, white hot heat. You end up with something that reaches its greatest beauty, that of gold, tried and proven through fire. That's what God does to us with our trials. He takes the very things that we're trying to avoid in life and he uses them to produce in each one a maturity of faith, a godly character, and a way of life that follows Christ, that we can put on the same trials that our Lord Jesus Christ faced every day, that we don't see them as a burden or a challenge. So it shows that our faith is real by demonstrating that our joy in trials rests solely on our confidence in Him. You can only imagine if the angels rejoice in heaven at the baptism and the putting on of Christ of one new believer. Can you imagine the joy that they will rejoice with? And the joy that each one of us will rejoice with? When we read and we hear the words, well done, our good and faithful servant. Enter them into the joy of our Lord. That's the joy that faces each one of us, brothers and sisters.
knowing that God's protection is ever around us. We just have to hold fast, believing in faith. As Peter reminds us, you have not seen him, but you love him. You have not seen him now, but you believe in him. And so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. We haven't seen our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. But we believe in him. We believe fully that what God has done through our Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, to make our salvation true and real. It's only through the eye of faith. But these are the things that bring us indescribable and glorious joy now and even in more greater joy in the future. And so interesting when we look through these chapters, verse 3 highlights for us the greatest, most wonderful hope. Verse 7 highlights for us faith. And here in verse 8, have highlighted for us love. Faith, hope, and love. Now these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. It's only through the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be here this morning to celebrate with the greatest joy what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us to bring about our salvation. That we can be here to share these emblems of bread and of wine. So let's see what Paul writes for us in 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God, our Father. That should be another of our fervent prayers, brothers and sisters. And within each one of us, we can see that never ceasing work of faith, that our faith holds true to the very end. The labor of love that we have for each other, that we're all chosen and called by God. The patience of hope in our Lord. Because it's only through patience that our full hope will be revealed. So it brings it all to a climax for us in verse 9. Because you are attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that what it's all about? The trials and the difficulties that we might face, the challenges of everyday life. The trying of our faith, ultimately to bring the salvation of our souls. Do we ever stop and see it like that? What is the ultimate goal in life? Isn't it the salvation of our souls? And that word souls is the word suki, our person, our being, that which is that wherein there is life. Mark 8, chapter, verse 34 reminds us, And Jesus called the crowd along with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take, take up his cross, and he must follow me. Also, whosoever wants to lose his life, 
Sorry, whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life because of me and because of the gospel will save it. For what benefit is it for a person to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his life? What can a person give in exchange for his life? See, that's that same word, Suki. Our soul, it's the salvation of our souls. And then Peter makes it very clear here for us this morning, brothers and sisters, that the salvation of our souls only comes by faith. Isn't it only reasonable that we should continue to trust in God? Because our salvation is still a work in progress. And Peter makes it very clear. You are attaining to work in progress. We are still striving to obtain an ultimate goal through faith. So Peter calls on us, brothers and sisters, to rejoice in our present sufferings and our trials because of our hope, because of our faith, and because of our love. You know, if we look forward in time, if we look back in time, or if we look around us today even, we must and we have to find grounds to rejoice wherever we look, even as we face the challenges of suffering. And I know some of us like, are so like Job at times. We hate the reality of unjust suffering, don't we? Why do we have to face these things? There's so many whys in life, aren't there? And unjust or unforeseen suffering. And COVID is one of those unforeseen sufferings in so many people's lives. It's one of the greatest problems that grips people's hearts today. We struggle with anger and anger issues, with frustration. And I'm sure each one of us go through times of frustration during a day. As I said earlier, uncertainty that fills every one of our lives when these trials and unexpected issues land on our doorsteps. Too often in these difficult moments of our lives, stress takes over, confusion reigns, while our contentment wanes. Questions arise, doubting, and prayer subsides. I'm sure every one of you recognizes that, don't you? Because every one of us is human and every one of us has experienced exactly that. And you see, it's how we react when suffering crosses our path. Many crumble at the thought of another pain, another trial. Others rise to the temptation. We see before us our Lord Jesus Christ this morning, who rose above every trial, every temptation. And for most of us in our human state, we lie somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, don't we? And Peter encourages both his readers then in AD 60 and all those through the ages and us this morning to persevere in faith. See, it just isn't enough for us to simply get up every morning and trudge through the day in weariness. So that's how I think most of us live our lives. It isn't what God requires of us to almost paint a smile on our faces 
and ignore the problems. See, the lesson that comes out very clearly for us in First Peter is to push through these troubles, recognizing that they are temporary in our lives, that we should be walking in holiness, walking in hope, walking in faith, that we are people of faith. So he asks us to press on in the darkest times, that our collective light might shine bright. So he writes, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. That's First Peter chapter 5. Those verses again. After you have suffered for a little while. See, that's the reality of our suffering, isn't it? Our suffering really is just for a short little while. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. The salvation of our souls. He will restore. He will confirm. He will strengthen and establish us. So we close our thoughts in Hebrews chapter 2 again. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Thou didst set over him the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see him, sorry, now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He is crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, He is able to succor them that are tempted. So may the grace 
and the peace of yours be in full measure. As Peter saluted those in AD 60. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.